You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. One of the countries that has covered itself in glory has become the poster country, actually, of the way to handle COVID-19 coronavirus is New Zealand. Now, okay, many people might think that it's just a tiny little island and it's uh, got more sheep than human beings. But on the other hand, it's very beautiful. It's a destination that is favoured by a lot of nationalities around the world. And one of the people that favour New Zealand is Liston Maincheese. He's been self-isolated there for uh, several weeks now and he's on the telephone. First of all, congratulations, New Zealand, because you've come out of lockdown, Liston. Yeah, well, uh, that was only on Wednesday. And, of course, South Africa will be reducing a level the same as we did um, as of today. So uh, the real question is, you know, they called it uh, here. We Our top level was four, and we moved to level three. But, in fact, if you just analyze it, it's probably 3.8 or 3.9. It is extremely close uh, so, uh, you know, children going to school, yes, but only if they have to rather keep them at home. So I think they had 4% attendance at schools that are now open. Yeah, there we go. I mean, it's obviously a little bit of self-regulation going on there. Let's just talk about the political side of things before we get on to the, the markets and the world's economy list. And let's talk about Jacinda Ardern, who, you, who is the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Can you imagine if she was in charge of the United States of America, what a different world we would have? Because you know, some people don't like her. Some people think she's a little bit too liberal. I think she's fantastic. Well, she has a great uh, ability in, in front of the microphone. Uh, she certainly carries everything off well. It is well thought out. Uh, her answers to questions are impeccable. Uh, and where she has to say no, she does it with a smile and explains why she can't answer. Uh, she has been ably supported by the Director General of Health, uh, Dr. Ashley Bloomfield. And uh, he has uh, also won a lot of praise for keeping everybody informed, reason why, and explaining everything, when a question is asked, he has the answers. It has actually been a very, very good set of um, one o'clock shows where they tell everybody what they believe is necessary. And if they say, we can't tell you that, it'll be decided at Cabinet next week, then they stick to that and they don't tell you until next week. Yeah, very good indeed. Listen, the two things that I wanted to bring up, actually, I want to get your information that you've been imparting over the last couple of days. I want to get that out the way first. You've obviously been very active in analysing the data and analysing the situation, which is fluid and changes not just day by day, but hour by hour. And you've been talking about, can you believe the S&P is here, given what is what is going on? Just give us the general synopsis from your point of view, because there's this massive, massive divergence between reality and the stock market? Well, there's also a divergence of the bond market. The bond market says, you know, it's time to panic and worry. And the stock market seems to be saying the opposite. And in fact, I think I made the point to you in an email when I said, you know, we took a bet in June last year at what the uh, S&P would be. And we agreed it would be above or below the then ruling price somewhere in June, I think. Yes. Uh, the, the price I remember distinctly was 2888. And uh, <laughs> below that, very briefly, and hey presto, in the four months the, you know, that we, we had the bet on, it carried on up and I think it wound out at 29 something. 
It is now 29-something. It's actually 28.37 this morning, Liston. Sorry to interrupt you, because we've had a a 2.25% fall for matters that we will speak about later. But anyway, uh, the point, these are semantics. But um, yeah, it's been up to nearly 3,400. It's been down to below 2,200. And here we are now, and let's call it 28.50. Astonishing volatility. Absolutely. And again, a lot of people are saying, and and I hear it, that obviously with all the uh, liquidity that has been pumped into the system by the Fed, by the government, by whoever, um, it must come out and push stock market prices. Now, I don't agree with that. I'm saying when we had QE, what that really did was to take money from wherever, and I still have a question as to where that actually came from, by the Fed buying bonds from the institutions. That put money in their pocket, and they had a choice of buying bonds at 2% or the stock market at whatever level it was at. And honestly, there was dividend yield on the index was a lot higher than on the bonds. So it was a virtual no-brainer for fund managers who had the choice to be in equities or bonds to switch out of bonds, selling them at at an amazingly low rate to the Fed uh, in return for money with which they could go and buy companies. So that QE I understood, and you and I debated this, I think, over the last five or nearly 10 years as to why it would be, it it didn't make sense, you know, to keep low interest rates as low as that. Get out of the mess, yes. We had to do something after the global financial crisis. But surely you don't want to stay here because you're distorting the system somewhat uh, uh, remarkably. But carry on, they did. And lo and behold, when the crisis now arrived, they had very little firepower left. So they've moved rates to zero. Now, again, it's no brainer. Would you rather invest your money and get naught on it? Uh, which you'll do when you really are worried about everything, or go and buy some shares that have some prospects. And by the way, you know, once this goes, and we don't know when, but you say, well, even if it gets halfway back to where it was, and now, by the way, it has got back halfway to where it was. Yes. So that argument doesn't work too well anymore. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make here is that QE did that. But this is not QE. This is paying people because their employers can't pay them. You're taking money out of the Fed and out of the government called government borrowing deficit. And so the uh, deficit uh, to GDP in America, as officially scored, is going to be 100%. In South Africa, you know, 60, 60% is considered high. But in America, 100 is going to be okay. But what I'm saying is you're actually running a budget deficit to keep people able to buy food and pay their rent. Now, that is not the same as QE. In fact, I think it is pretty disastrous. And the miracle of all miracles is that people are prepared to lend to the government in return for one and a, one and a bit percent. Not me is all I can say. No, it's, it's really not worth the risk, I, I, I don't think. There are several things that have happened over the last 24 hours that I want to talk about, specifically three things. Uh, the first one is corporate, and everyone's been waiting for Amazon, and uh, Amazon's results came out last night. 
Uh, and the headline in the FT this morning goes as follows. Amazon warns coronavirus costs could wipe out surging sales. They are employing 75,000 new people. Where they, put a, they put out job application forms to seven, for 75,000 new positions. But it says here the e-commerce group says it could spend $4 billion more in the next quarter to keep workers safe and products moving, which is absolutely, uh, absolutely right. But it does wipe out their profit. The other um, uh, the other uh, headlines in the FT go as follows, which are side issues. Uh, Ryanair to cut 3,000 jobs. Uh, Trump-confident COVID-19 originated in Wuhan lab. More of that in a moment. And global stock slippers. Coronavirus hits corporate earnings, which is a story that will develop and develop and develop. But let's look at um, uh, the Trump story, first of all. He has done even by his own lofty standards of, of, of disgraceful behavior, politicized the coronavirus to such an extent that he is now reinitiating a political and trade war with China, having blamed them for the world pandemic. What do you make of that? Well, if you look at the history, it's certainly the first time we heard about it was a doctor in Wuhan saying there are too many of these cases that they need to we need to report it we need to take this on board yes now that does not mean it originated there and in fact if you look at some of the other countries who developed uh, um, covid a little bit later you'll find that they had suddenly an awful lot of cases which meant that it was probably in their populations round about December last year, if not November as well. So I think it will be extremely difficult for him to make that accusation stick. But it sounds good to the electorate because we do know Precisely. that it, the, the first time we heard about it, it was from Wuhan. But as one of the correspondents put it, he said, now just have a look at the distance function. He said, if you look at the distance from uh, Wuhan to Shanghai, and the distance from Wuhan to Beijing, um, they're quite close. And you would have thought the virus would be quite evident in both of them. There were very few cases in either of those two cities. But if you look at Milan, London, New York, the distances are enormous. And yet the death rates in all of those have way surpassed that of China. Yes. So something is not quite right in saying it must have originated there. If it had, it would probably have spread to other parts of China unless they had even more draconian lockdowns than New Zealand did, which I'm pretty sure they had in Wuhan. In fact, I did hear the story that one person broke the curfew in Wuhan and he was simply shot. After that, most people stayed indoors. Well, that's we haven't got that's anything like that. It, with us, it was it was <laughs> please uh, stay home and uh, save lives. And and honestly, ninety nine point nine percent of the population stuck to that. Yeah, stopping him going to the pub is one thing, but uh, shooting him is, is quite another. But uh, that's for uh, another discussion. The other thing that has happened, we've mentioned Amazon, their results. We've mentioned uh, Trump. The other thing that really struck me was British Airways, over the last 24 hours, has 
more or less said that it's going to abandon Gatwick Airport, London Gatwick Airport, which is a massive, massive hub for them. I mean, it may just be talk. It may just have been blown out of all proportion uh, by the UK media. But if they get rid of Gatwick and they get rid of 12,000 jobs or however, however, however many thousand that they're, they're talking about, then this tells you a lot about the future of the world's economy. And I know aviation is not the representative of the world's economy, Liston, but on the other hand, if BA says, and that is that they don't think passenger numbers are going to recover to their pre-COVID numbers uh, by w- within more than two or three years, then we've got a serious problem because human behaviour has changed. People are not going to jump on flights. And that is what BA is saying. And I think that is really telling. Well, I think that's true. But as you know, a lot of airlines were in trouble before the virus. Uh, You know, there there were just too many pressures, too many airlines, too many seats, discount this. uh, And they would have all been very, very happy with the drop in the oil price. But unfortunately, they're not flying at the time that the oil price is down. But be all that as it may, I absolutely agree. We're not going back to the degree of jump on a plane if you feel like it. It's now going to be, is your journey really necessary? And that slogan will probably be here for a full year, as they say, maybe longer. Now, if you're in the airline business, what is the first thing you do? Well, the first thing you do is you shore up your finances. You go to the banks and you say, look, I've got these borrowing arrangements, but they run out in 2021. Please, can you extend that to 2023? We're sure we'll be okay by then. The second thing you do is you go and knock on the door of the government and say, you've caused half of this problem. You know, we're the fair dues. Surely we're entitled if other people are entitled in some way. And look at the jobs you've cost. And again, I'm sure this is one of the things we must touch on is the moral hazard of saving lives but wrecking an economy uh, to the point that more people could die of hunger than actually could die of the virus. This is something Tragic that came situation. up in a. This is something that came up in a podcast with between myself and Russell Lamberti from a couple of days ago, and I sent you the link, I think. And there is a, a trade-off, and I put forward the idea that are you willing to allow collateral damage in order to get the economy going, and the collateral damage being the loss of lives. And he put forward some very very powerful points as to why. The collateral damage is happening anyway because of the deaths from poverty. There was, it was a fascinating argument he had. Well, this is exactly the story. Now, again, if you look at the New Zealand experience, and again, of course, sitting here and, and, and watching the television local, uh, you can't help but be involved in it. Uh, we had a total of 19 deaths. I think 12 of them were from one single old age, what they call rest home. Mm -hmm. And in that rest home, it was for dementia patients. But 12 of the 19 were from one point only. There were three major clusters. That's all. Now, all I know is I flew in on a plane with probably 300 people. And there must have been any number of planes arriving the same day because New Zealand is obviously a big tourist destination. Uh, To have just three clusters, either the lockdown worked so brilliantly or the virus was never the threat that people believed it would be, could be, should be. So, again, we've got to look at Sweden, where they decided, as opposed to uh, uh, Denmark and, uh, and Norway, 
they decided to, and in fact, apparently their their uh, constitution doesn't allow it. So they said, we'll just do it voluntarily. But voluntary is one thing, but they didn't put enough uh, protection in for old age homes. And most of their cases have been in old age homes, but their death rate is about double their neighbors. So it certainly sounds as though quarantining, lockdown, whatever you want to call it, uh, has some degree of, 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 of working. And I do believe that's right. You know, when you have a measles epidemic, when you have a flu epidemic, you tell children, if you've got the sniffles and a cold, please don't come and give it to all your classmates. If a teacher is, is, is sick, they are requested, please don't come and pass it on to the pupils. So, you know, we're used to a very subtle form of quarantining. Draconian is another thing. But my problem, my point about this, this is any politician faced with the choice of save lives, which you can sell to anybody, anywhere, anytime, mm. um, will choose that one. Of course. Now, they've got to solve the problem. They've stopped the revenue stream to, to businesses, but unfortunately they haven't stopped the expenses. Now, the expenses would be stopped by just telling all the workers that, unfortunately, they're fired. Now, the government can't stand that, so they have to work out a plan to resolve that. But then you've still got to pay your rent, but then you've still got to pay the bank. And so you go to the banks and say, be nice to the people, just, you know, capitalize the interest for the next three months. There's all sorts of things that you can do as a government. But I just think this is an experiment, the like of which we have never seen, and the consequences of which we are busy unfolding as we speak. And you did ask me to talk about company profits. Now, again, this is one of those... Just before you go on to that, no, just before you go on to company profits, because that's a, a separate issue. I've had the view that there will be a second or third wave, not so much of infections. I believe there will be a second wave of nervousness in, in the market for various reasons. And one of the reasons was the when you see in black and white the economic data and also the company results. That was one of the first things. But what I've seen in the last 24 hours or so sort of reinforces what I've also said is that we will not go back to our old ways. And when I was talking about British Airways, I wasn't specifically talking about the aviation industry. I was talking about the way that people behave and British Airways experience or British Airways' predictions for the future is a manifestation of what they think human behavior will be in, in the future. So it could be a restaurant, it could be a bar. It could be going to work every day instead of working from home. Uh, so the aviation industry is, again, just the, the, the poster child of what might be the future for every, every single person until we get back to levels of confidence that we were exhibiting at the end of last year, for example. So it's not just aviation. It's everything, Liston. Oh, absolutely. And again, one of the points I was making to somebody today, I have a friend and we were busy talking and this was only as little ago as three months. And he said, you know, I'm writing down what the differences are from when we were children and young adults and what we have today. And it came out that one of the hugest changes was cafe culture. We seldom went to a restaurant. Uh, we might go and have a meal at a hotel uh, once a birthday or something like that, but not to go out to a fast food three times a week mm. and go off and have a coffee with somebody somewhere. 
Um, that was the major change, a major source of employment, by the way, a major source of job creation in all the support services. And suddenly that particular bunch has been switched off for five, five six weeks uh, in New Zealand, and I don't think it's coming back. I think, and the problem is exactly that. It isn't as though five will survive and five will die. All ten will, prob will probably die at the same time because there just aren't enough people to cope with all ten. So I am extremely concerned, as you are, say hospitality, tourism, uh, travel, all of those are absolutely the bottom of, of, of recovery. Uh, we will get manufacturing. Of course, we must get food. But again, I hear the stories. Uh, a, a farmer has got uh, uh, crops rotting in his field. A, he can't get the people to take it. But even if he gets the, the people to come help pick, uh, he can't deliver it because the people he normally delivers it to have, aren't allowed to open their shop. Mm -hmm. So an awful lot of this was not considered at the time that we said, stay at home, save lives. That is perfectly good, perfectly okay. Now we're in the situation of safe companies, safe jobs. And I'm not sure that they have the firepower to do anything like that for a protracted period of time. So your point, absolutely 100% valid. We're all evaluating our new existence and it doesn't involve going out. It doesn't take, involve taking a cruise. It doesn't involve flying to, to Thailand. Let's now indulge ourselves in moral bankruptcy and talk about company earnings because they are going to be horrible for the next <laughs> couple of quarters, I would imagine, uh, Liston. We don't even understand the sort of negative numbers we're going to see, in my opinion. Oh, well, we, we've done pretty well on it. But again, uh, I may have sent it to you, but uh, certainly a, a company called FactSet, they put it out as a public uh, document on the web. And it simply takes the analyst estimates for all the companies, in this particular case, in the S&P. And it was 180 as a, a sense for the, 2888 or 2850 that we spoke about earlier. So if you're going to earn um, 180 on 28 odd, you can tell that you know this is about a 15 uh, getting on getting on for an 18 price earnings multiple. Now what has happened is the analysts, having had new news and certainly we all had it, um, they're guessing that the number will be 150. Now that's a long way down from 180 actually. And now you're going to have to say, well, now it's 2880 on 150. So your price earnings multiple for the average is not looking good. My understanding of this is that many of the analysts are behind the, the eight ball. They still have old numbers in there. They only update when they see how bad things are. So I think that number probably for the year is going to wind out at 135. Now, if you put 135 on a 20 PE multiple, you're going to get a, a, a S&P of 2,700. And if you put it on, I would think, a, a far better bet is um, um, a one point, a, a 15 times, given the uncertainties, 15 times uh, 135 is of the order of 2,100. My goodness me. 
I don't see too many people saying things like that, apart from uh, Ray Dalio and a couple of other veterans in the game. Uh, and, and again, it's a piece of mathematics. Whether you believe it will get there or not is the question of what you do with your money. So far, uh, the story comes out and it says this company beat estimates. The point is it was only minus 35 and the analysts had estimated minus 45. But minus 35 is the number that hurts. So absolutely, I agree with you. And by the way, a lot of this was two good months. If you remember, the market was hitting new highs up to the 23rd of February. So we really only had five bad weeks in a, in a, in a quarter. And those are the results that are reporting now. So now we've had a full month and we're probably not getting back to anything sensible in the month of May and maybe towards the end of June. So whatever you see for um, uh, the first quarter, it will be worse in the second quarter. So that's easy. Now, the problem is that if you have an equity fund and you're a portfolio manager and people, wherever they are and however informed they are, give you money to invest, you have to invest somewhere. What are you going to go and buy? Well, obviously, you're going to go and buy Amazon. Why? Because it's running in the front row of, of, of uh, uh, benefiting from uh, uh, the epidemic. Oh, dear. But their results come out and they say, well, actually, we may have sold more goods, but we're not going to make a profit. Oh, dear. Uh, then you go, go to something like uh, uh, Netflix. Lots of people stayed home. And Netflix hit a new high just the other day in the middle of all this coronavirus. Why? Because its prospects have improved. So it's not every company that's going to offer minus 80 and minus 75. But the, the mainstream and the vast majority of what I would call old, old style companies are going to see that. And my point about this, Lindsay, is that most people have never done an analysis of a company starting at revenue, starting at cost of sales. And however you, you work that out and you look at the margin and it is very thin. But what happens if sales, instead of being $100 million, are suddenly zero? Yeah. Your costs yeah. don't go to zero. So you make a loss straight off the top. Then you have to pay uh, interest bill on any borrowings that you've got. <clears throat> so take it a step further. And there must be, amongst all the borrowers in America, and I mean companies, but I also mean individuals, people who simply can't pay. Whether you give them a three-month holiday, it doesn't matter what. Those bad debts are going to come romping home, and I think – uh, it's going to be a lot worse than happened to many people in the global financial crisis. There they had the tools able to solve it and, and, and resolve it in some ways. But if you remember, the crisis was in 2009, 2012, we had the cash for clunkers because the, the motor manufacturers were bleeding to death. That was three years later. So anybody who tells me this will just, you know, drift along and, you know, in three years we'll be back to where we were, 
I just, I don't know where they were at the time of the global financial crisis. I think crisis. that the global financial crisis was an overblown overreaction to something that was very niched, and we got over it very, very quickly, Liston. But what you've just said is very, very telling. You've said people simply can't pay. And this is not, this is not niche. This is a broad-based problem across every strata of society. So this is... From British Airways to someone who works in a township in South Africa who's got a job as a, a bus per, a busboy or a, a waiter or whatever it is in, in a restaurant which is now closed and closed indefinitely. This is this is something that we've never seen before and we will never see before again in our lifetime. Listen. Well, no. I, I, again, you know, the the real thing is what lessons we we may learn from this. Um, and you did talk about second wave, and you said that you know you're not so worried about the virus. But I just want to cover the second wave story. Mm-hmm. The belief structure is very much that if there is a second wave, firstly we are in a much better position to deal with it quickly and and do the uh, uh, tracing and the uh, the testing. You know, so it won't have the same impact at all. Second point about it is that there must have been at least in a number of places what we call herd immunity. A number of people possibly didn't even know they had it. They had the sniffles. They had the cough. They weren't feeling too good. But, you know, they just carried on and it went away. Um, Then you've had those who had real cases, uh, you know, of, of serious symptoms, tested, had the virus, and have got over it. And, I mean, that is still something like at this point in time in New Zealand, 85% of, of cases have recovered, and, and there are a, a few still out, and there are six people in hospital. Uh, you know, so uh, talk about being over it. We're over it. We're right. over the virus. We're not so worried about a second wave, but we really, really have to see what happens to the people, as you say, who work in restaurants. Will they get their job back? Not until the eleventh uh, of May, if we don't proceed again for another week uh, to have level three. Even in level two, there's a whole lot of restrictions on on public gatherings, including you know the number of people who can uh, can uh, be in one room at one time. So. Just because it's over doesn't mean that all the all the controls and quarantinings uh, don't continue. And I still say yeah, your point exactly. Somebody says, I just don't have the money to go and do X, Y, Z. I absolutely had to plunder my savings for the month and uh, whatever it is, seven weeks that we've been out. Um, and I, I, I just can't even contemplate doing the following. And just by the way, New Zealand is a very high tourism country and one of their biggest tourism seasons for internal travel is Easter and uh, what we just had uh, something called Anzac Weekend uh, and both are in April. And uh, do you know how many people went to hotels in that time? They weren't even allowed to go to their beach cottage. (laughs) They had to stay home. So all I'm saying is those little towns that rely on that that uh, tourism must have incredible pain. Liston, we'll leave it there, but it's a fascinating analysis, and let's keep in touch with uh, how the New Zealand model plays out. How long are you going to be there, by the way? When are you allowed to fly back to South Africa? And do you want to? That's the question. 
<laughs> well, you're asking all the telling points that I can't answer. Go on. The, the point is I have, I have a ticket, but unfortunately the airline that I have the ticket on isn't even flying. <laughs> Virgin Australia. Borders closed, so, and I don't know if South Africa's got the borders open, even if I did, did manage to get you know, the complicated. So the answer is I'm honestly expecting it to be at least another month that I'm here. I don't think it's serious. I think we've all learned to use Skype and Zoom, and I've had all sorts of meetings. I am actually working while I'm here, believe it or not, and and, and I've had these meetings. Some of them, unfortunately, because of, 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 of the quality of Internet, uh, you know, some of the people are very indistinct on Zoom, but others have been absolutely superb. I had a meeting uh, yesterday. I used uh, Microsoft Teams for that. And it was as if we were in the same room talking. It was brilliant. So I think, you know, a fair bit of my future discussions with people will not be get on a plane and go to another city, but just say, listen, can we have the Zoom conference? And I think that's also a point that a lot of people have missed. Everything's so changed, listen. Everything's changed. You're not going to be. People. We're not going to be. Uh, we're not going to be having meetings again together. We're going to be zooming and Microsoft teaming. We know that. It's just how the yeah. world reacts to it, and how the stock markets and the financial markets and the central banks react to it. Liston Mainchies, how do we get hold of you? View it's still Liston at Liston.co.za, is it? That's correct. In that case, we shall do so. Liston is uh, an independent financial analyst, and as I said. Get hold of him if you want to hear more of his wisdom by going to liston at liston.co.za. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.